Trying to center it for Bruce. He'll feed it back to the blue line to Anderson. Laser probably coming up and a wrist shot. Simon Hurts loose in the crease. Halliburton scores. 7.03 on You're not gonna rap? Thursday. Well, he's Mike Halford, and he's here to say. This is Run JMC. <laughs> run H&B. They, uh, we got a guest coming up in a major way. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. You know you want to freestyle. I can't now. You've been waiting your entire life for this moment. Based on what I know, I watched 8 Mile. I'll lose this rap battle now. There's no way I can match that. I'm like the guy who cuts to his core so and I just drop the microphone and walk Cheddar out of Bob, then? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Guys, is this early 80s New York that we're in? Both, both of them have shot themselves in the leg. I should mention we have a guest on the line. We do, and we have to tell people that the Halford and Bruff show in the morning. I'm not going to rap. I'm not going to rap. I could have done the North Star metal rap, but I'm not going to. Halford and Brev of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. <laughs> Hour two of the program. Uh, Vancouver Giants general manager Barclay Parnett is on hold. He's going to join us in just, just a second here to kick off Hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Okay, to the phone lines we go. As mentioned, Barclay Parnetta here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Barclay. How are you? I, I was okay until I heard the intro and you guys trying to rip out a rap. That was Andy. Yeah, apologies Tech- for that. I'm oh, sorry. Tech- sorry. Boy, that, did, that was something else, boys. Yeah. yeah, that's no way to start your day, is it? <laughs> no. Wake up to that, but, uh, but but a good effort, nonetheless. You guys are trying and doing your best, so not, not, <laughs> not going to discredit you for trying. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Okay, let's talk about your hockey team here. It's a big month for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, there's a game coming up tomorrow. It's a home date at the Langley Event Center, 730 uh, against the Spokane Chiefs later this month. There's the prospects game, so there's a lot of stuff at play. Uh, but you guys have been very active prior to this, trading away your captain, Zach Ostapchuk. And, you know, I was reading about the trade, and it's not often that a team in a playoff position will trade its captain and one of its best players. But uh, the prices for some of these players, Barclay, my God, looking around the Canadian Hockey League and how many picks and players you can get in these deals, was it one of those things that you guys just couldn't pass up, that the deal that was presented to you was too good to pass up? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this since the start of the year, as n- not trading Zach, but, uh, uh, you know, being prepared in the event that something like this happened. It, it's a bit of a perfect storm in, in the WHL right now with, uh, you know, there's a host team that needed to add. There's a number of really good teams that are trying to add. Uh, and what also drove prices up, I think, this year were, uh, you know, and, and I hate to use this word again because it seems like it's behind us, but you know, there's teams that are trying to get into the playoffs to recoup financial losses from COVID still. So there might have been teams this year that retained players that typically they would have been trading in any other year. And and earlier in the year, um, you know, Ron Teugel, Pete Teugel, myself, I, I sat down with them and sort of set out, okay, here's scenarios of previous trades and other years. So we had a pretty good idea that, okay, if we get something like this, we'd have to look at it. But we weren't shop, shopping, Zach. We didn't 
put them on the open market. We had inquiries, but we just kept saying, you know what, like we're not planning on trading Zach. Our team's doing well. If, if it's some ridiculous offer that, that like a, like around these parameters, we'd certainly, we may entertain it then. And we got three unsolicited offers leading into the, this last week. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the numbers on it, I mean, the trade deadline was insanity. There's 48 trades. Okay, so 83 players traded, 81 draft picks, 29 conditional draft picks. Have you ever seen a trade deadline like this before? No, I haven't. And that's why I don't think we will. Like I said, I think it was a perfect storm of exactly what I just explained. And it's going to be difficult to to, to replicate what, what the circumstances were this year, I think. Were you surprised that Connor Bedard wasn't traded? Yes and no. Uh, no. I mean, that's going to mean so much for the Regina Pats franchise down the road. He literally is uh, by clearly the number one pick overall and uh, what he did. And, and I mean, what would you have to give for Connor Bedard based on the most recent deals that you saw, say, with ours or Kamloops? Like, uh, I don't know if it was actually even possible for one team to acquire Connor Bedard with the amount of assets he would have to give out this year. How much did teams try, do you think? I don't, I, you know what, uh, I don't think it was, uh, I mean, when they came through BC, there's rumors about something and I don't think teams tried that hard. I, I think people realize that, you know what, this, this is probably not going to work. Now, had Regina said we'd be open to it and yeah, we will look at moving Connor Bedard. That would have changed things, but I don't think they ever intended on ever trading him at all. So the goals for the Vancouver Giants for the rest of the season, what are they? Well, we'd like to we'd like to end up in the same spot that we are with like a home ice advantage in the first round. Uh, you know, we're sitting in fourth place right now. We are. I think that would be the goal to keep that and uh, sort of ride it out through the end here with uh, the way we've been doing it. We've been finding ways to win, and if we can find and fall into that hole, I, I think that sits well. Certainly, uh, playoffs are, are are the objective, but uh, a home ice in the playoffs and a a good matchup for us off the right off the hop would be great. What was your message to Michael Dick and to the players in the aftermath of the trade? I imagine it had to be something along the lines of, yes, we've traded away our captain and maybe our best player, but yes, we're also in a playoff spot and that's the goal to stay there. That, that is exactly, that's pretty well exactly what I said. I walked in after the boys, obviously that day they're on the ice and, and uh, you know, they're all worried that you don't know what's going to happen. It's a tense time, both for, Coaches, players, and management, right? But yeah, the, the message is: look, you guys, uh, we've got our last ten games. We've got above five five hundred record. We need to continue this pace. Zach was not with our team during that period. Let's maintain this and continue. Uh, I mean, I said, look around the room. This is it. They, we've got the two players that we had traded for were there already. They they were able to get in in town for practice. So uh, I, I just said, you guys believe our room believes in themselves. They they're really playing for each other. And, uh, you know, I don't think, obviously, everybody's disappointed. I mean, I'm not going to say that Zach Ostopchuk was a huge part of our team and right. an incredible hockey player. So, uh, you know, that is a really good player going out. And you can't, basically, can't lie to the kids. The kids aren't dumb. Yeah. If I went in there and said, oh, this is great. But no, I just said, we're doing it without them. And we're going to continue to do this. And you guys have shown that to me. You could have tried lying to them. Have you ever considered <laughs> lying to them? Just be like, you know what? He's not a great guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. get him out of here. No. And you know what? For Zach, too, honestly, I, I think Zach, Zach never asked to be traded. Right. Um, yeah. We did bring Zach in. I brought some of the, the, the players that I thought might be sought after in trades early in the year to quash. You know, I, and I told them all, look, we're not 
shopping any of you. If you start hearing from friends or, or agents or whoever that you're on the trade market, you're mm -hmm. not. Uh, but I did clearly say to them, and I didn't think it was going to actually happen. If we get some deal that, you know, uh, really is something that we have to look at, we might consider it. And, and with Zach, like I said, he, he wanted to finish as a giant. Now, if he wasn't a giant, you know, he obviously, the, the Kamloops situation hosting the cup was appealing. And also uh, Winnipeg, like Winnipeg was a team for him. Uh, his best friend Savoy is there. And, you know, he was at the Mon at the draft in Montreal wearing a Savoy jersey in the stands last year, uh, which which I thought was oh, that's awesome. a great support guy. Like, oh, that's the type of kid he is. And yeah. he was a signed NHL prospect mm -hmm. wearing a Savoy jersey to support his friend in the stands. I thought that was really cool. Uh, okay, Barclay, before we let you go, can you set up uh, what's just the rest of this month? Because it's going to be a very entertaining uh, second half of January. Your team is obviously fighting for playoff positioning. Uh, you've got a game uh, this weekend that we've already previewed, but the Prospects game that's coming to town as well. Maybe set that up because I know Greg and I were talking earlier. Uh, Connor Bedard added to the roster. He made it. It was going to be a 50-50 whether he was going to get into that top Prospects game, but good on the kid. Another notch in his belt. But set all of this up for us the remainder of January out of the Langley events center well i mean we've got uh the friday the sunday this weekend uh we close out uh on the friday the 27th against Kelowna. but yeah the top top prospect game is going to be uh, i mean obviously with the dart it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience for people if you're able to get a ticket it's going to be uh those games tend to be better than people think they're not just all-star games a lot of the kids are really trying to impress the scouts and management They'll be, I will be shocked if not every GM in the NHL is at that. There'll probably be over 300 uh, NHL personnel in the stands watching these kids and assessing them. So they're really going to be on. And obviously, Jaden Lipinski's in the game. And Samuel Hanzik, unfortunately, due to the injury suffered at the World Juniors, will not be participating in the game. But it's just a great chance to see the future stars of the NHL. And I think that that top prospect game really is something uh, like I said, if you can get a ticket, don't hesitate, phone in, try to get a ticket and try to get out there and, and take into the festivities because it's going to be a great thing and a, and a really fun thing to be a part of if you're able to. Barclay, thanks for taking the time to do this morning. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week and we'll do this again uh, as we get closer and closer to the WHL playoffs. I, I will. And, and again, I, I'm still, this is going to be difficult, but I, I should get it out. I do listen to a lot of rap. I will get over it, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, maybe if you get Drake on one day, he can give you some tips. Yeah, Drake's always wanted to work with A-Dog, so this is going to yeah, be no problem. He's always wanted to do the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. We've been talking about a collab. Kind of list of, yeah. list of dreams for him. Thanks, Barclay. You want to get with the D. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, bud. Barclay. Appreciate it. Barclay Parnetta, general manager of the Vancouver Giants here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet. 650. So yeah, there's the two games this weekend as mentioned and as uh, Barclay said, good luck trying to get a ticket to the Prospects game. Laddie, will you be there? I feel like this is smack in your wheelhouse. January 25th, Kubota top Prospects game. Last Prospects game that Vancouver held. It yes. was a great experience. I got to interview Carter Hart. Ooh. So yes, I will be going back. This is a, it's a great time. Like you said, it's tons of NHL people there watching a bunch of NHL eligible prospects. Sure. What could be better? Okay, uh, we've got a bit of an open segment here now. You know, 20 minutes left before we have to go to break and turn things over. A reminder, uh, one, if you want to weigh into the show, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. Uh, you can also download the podcast. Hour one is in the books. Hour two, halfway through. Apple... 
Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Download the Halford and Bruff podcast today. There's going to be three of them today like there is every day. Uh, coming up at 7.30, Frank Saravalli is going to join us on the program. And then at 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor. At 8.30, we're going to do what we learn. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Dunbar Lumber text line again is 650-650. WWL, hashtag it. It's your chance to be on the radio. Now, I mentioned what we learned because yesterday we had a what we learned that we never got to. But I was really intrigued by it. And that is that the Netflix PGA Tour docuseries Full Swing, Mm -hmm. they dropped the trailer, I believe it was yesterday or maybe the day before. And it begins on February 15th to a global audience. This is, to put it in layman's terms, Drive to Survive for Golf. It's the same production house. It's the same production company. It looks and sounds and feels just by the trailer very similar to the playbook that they've established with Drive to Survive, except... Do you think Live Golf might come up occasionally in this? Uh, Poulter's one of the guys that uh, right. in the is trailer. being followed, obviously. So Poulter in the trailer says, I'm not going to do the accent. Okay. You picked a hell of a year to start following mm-hmm. the PGA Tour. Like, the timing is impeccable. I don't know if it was intentional, but it was impeccable. And... All of a sudden, we've now got another sports entity, a league, um, going headfirst into the content game. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I'm intrigued by this. You're obviously intrigued by this. I mean, I'm a huge golf fan. So, uh, I mean, I, I watch a lot of golf on mm-hmm. TV and I, and I know the personalities and I appreciate the personalities. And I just think this can be really compelling um, TV, especially if you have a good mix of pros that you're following, like you've got the stars and then you've got the veterans like Ian Poulter in the live golf angle. And that's going to be interesting, but I'm also going to be curious to follow along with the guys that are fighting for their tour cards. Like Mito Pereira. Oh, he was the guy that nearly won the major, right? Uh, Sahith Thigala. Uh, okay, stop doing this. There's some of the guys yeah, that are... But he's a pretty good player. Okay, so who are... Do you know I, I don't know the don't list know. Okay. of players, okay. but all I'm saying is that the drama, per- personally, for the for the players that are like, hey, if I don't go out there and get a result today, if I miss another cut, right. then I'm like, you know, I'm not making much money, mm-hmm. right? I think that's really compelling. There, There's such a... Um, like there's so many different classes of golfers on the PGA Tour and professionally, right? There are the guys that they, they're not worried about losing their tour card. Even if they have a rough stretch, they're, you know, because they've won majors, they're good on the tour for a while, for a number of years. And if they weren't, they'd have sponsors exemptions. Like they're just, they're comfortable. Like what they focus on is so different from what the middle class focus on on the PGA Tour and that's going out there and not necessarily winning tournaments mm-hmm. but making enough money to stay on the tour. There's also the angle of the middle class that you want to become the upper class. You want to go out there and win tournaments. And one tournament win even if it is like not an important tournament, it's huge for those guys. Because then your PGA Tour card is safe. So there's something, and really, your life yeah. changes. So there's something really interesting at play here, and it's what you're talking about. It's that uh, now all of a sudden, and this goes across the board, but I'll, I'll focus on golf for a minute here. Um, telling the stories that haven't been 
told before, right? Yeah. Telling the stories of the middle to, and I hate using these terms, but middle to lower class, guys that are scratching and clawing um, to stay alive, to keep their card, to keep their professional careers going. This is something that golf was almost forced to do, I think for a variety of reasons. One was that we grew up in, now that you're able to look at hindsight being 2020, it was a real golden age for golf. It was the Tiger Woods era too, yep. right? Tiger Woods became appointment viewing and the game and t- it became so easy to market, so easy to promote. It's just Tiger versus everyone. And everyone would tune in. Mm-hmm. Casuals, people that had no idea what was going on, but they knew Tiger. Golf was given the golden boy, the gen- and this truly is a generational talent. And now I think what's happened here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that golf, like a lot of other sports, has to all of a sudden start to hustle. To get fans well, I think, and to tell and to tell more stories. I think golf is definitely on the rise. There was a time where I was a little bit worried about golf when Tigers was falling off and not, frankly, not playing at all, regardless of whether or not he was playing well. Um, and also, it just didn't seem to have the interest of casual people, not only in watching it but also playing it. I think there was uh, younger people didn't seem as interested in it. And also, I think people work so much these days. They have so, they have so little free time um, that to go out and say, well, okay, I'm going to play golf today. I'll be back in eight hours <laughs> is is pretty tough to do sometimes, especially if you, you know, you've got a significant other, you've got kids, you've got responsibilities. Like, it's, right. it's hard to do. Things are different now. I think the pandemic changed everything. I think the pandemic got people into golf. I think younger people are more and more into golf now. I think there's some great podcasts out there and some great young personalities that have brought a lot to covering the game of golf. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't been so, um, it just hasn't been so traditional, old and stodgy stodgy and, and boring. Like it is, it's different now. 10 years ago, it was not acceptable to play music on the golf course when you were playing. Now you play music on the golf course and it's not a big deal. Things have changed and I think it's for the better. And I think, I think if golf plays its cards right, there's even more growth to be had. Mm-hmm. I mean, just try and get a tee time. It's right. very difficult to get a tee time now. So- and I think that just goes to show how many people took up the game in the pandemic and realized... Wow, like this is so much fun. Not only is this a great game, it's a great way to spend time with your buddies, your friends, your family. Mm-hmm. Go out there, you get some exercise, but it's not like like everyone could go out there and play golf. Yeah. Right? And it's a terrific game, and I think people rediscovered that. Now, to pivot off this to a different direction, less about golf and more about the direction that we are going with watching sports i actually i was putting together a list of things that i wanted to talk about one and it sounds crazy to put it out loud but has just watching sports just watching them consuming the product as presented currently is it gotten too boring and too difficult too boring yeah does any do we now not for me do i know not for me either but we are now i can't believe sometimes i can't believe i'm still watching sports like, I've seen all the games. Like, you talked about <laughs> golf. And, like, do you have eight hours to carve out of your Sunday? This weekend, for example. Because you got to pre-drink in the parking lot, and yeah. then you got to go for drinks And afterwards. then you have to post-drink in the parking yeah. lot. But um, with regards to the boring topic, this weekend is wildcard weekend in the NFL. This used to be, I remember growing up, I would, like, carve out 
literal hours where I'm like, I can't do anything during that time because I'm going to be watching the football game. Yeah. And now I look at it and I'm like, it feels as though the modern viewer requires so much more from the sport <laughs> yeah. than the sport itself. Do you know, do you get what I'm talking about? It's, it's not just about the two and a half, three hour window where the game is on. And it's no. not about going to the game. It's so far past that. Yeah. Like golf, for example, with this um, docu-series that's coming out, it's almost as if saying, we got the Sony open this weekend, but I'm not sure how many people are going to sit and watch a traditional round of golf is currently presented. However, we've got all this, and unfortunately we live in a content-driven world, all of this unused content about Matt Fitzhendricks, who is barely struggling to survive. And he's not going to get any TV time this weekend. Mm-hmm. When he plays at the Sony Open, he's going to get zero camera time. Who's that? Right? I just made him up. Oh, okay. He's a, I was he's, like, do you mean Matt Fitzpatrick? He's, he's a fictional character. Fitzhendrick. That I, a fix, <laughs> old Fitzhendrick. He's a fictional character. But he's not going to, over the course of the weekend, when you sit down and watch the Sony Open a bit, yeah. he's probably going to get zero Right. Camera time. But maybe he's got a really compelling story behind the scenes. Just to survive Just on to tour. Just to survive, yeah. And, and all of a sudden. They, can, they should call, you know what they should call this this um, this golf show? Drive to Survive. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that you mentioned. Because like you drive the golf ball, right? And you're trying to survive on the tour. Does it it, Has anyone else called a show would Drive there, to Survive? Would there be a marketing problem with a second <laughs> Drive to Survive? But I, speaking of Drive to Survive, so I watched it. Finally, I got caught up years afterwards. F1, believe it or not, has a series called Drive to Survive. Yes, that's correct. Oh, oh okay. I, I know, it's weird. Oh. I, I wouldn't have associated it. I know. Mm. I just started watching Drive to Survive. I think my that's next- That's the one with the cars. They go yeah, in a circle. Yeah, And soon I'll start watching, um, I don't know, another show that's about 10 years out of date. Like, maybe I'll finally get caught up on Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I halfway through the show, I realized that there is zero focus on- the teams that win all the F1. Yeah, because those are boring. Those are boring. Yeah. I'm finding out about all these and all these really interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the show, they're like, uh, they finished ninth, 10th, and 11th in the, in the race. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, one of the guys we've been trying to chase for this show, and uh, I think we might be able to get him, I think his agent said closer to June with the, the Canadian Open, is Max Homa. Yeah. So Max Homa. We might have someone from the documentary too. I have. Oh, okay. I'm talking Great. to them. Yeah. Well, Max Homa, if you don't know him, he's on the PGA Tour, and he actually took a while to to kind of like become a good golfer on the tour. He's got a terrific swing, but the thing about this guy is he's embraced social media, and what Max Homa does, which is really funny, is people send him videos of their golf swing, and he makes fun of them. Right. On social media, like in a, in a nice, in, not in a nice way. It's actually quite mean, but it's kind of like a sparkle in his eye, right? Sure. And people do it, like you know, it's kind of like now do me, like now make fun of my golf swing, right? Yeah. And he is just the type of athlete that the PGA Tour needs more and more of because he's a good player, but he doesn't take himself too seriously, mm-hmm. and he'll engage with fans, and that's what fans want now. They want more. I guess the, the, the genesis of this entire thing is that I think the modern viewer, the modern consumer, the modern fan wants more, right? They will watch Max Homa play. Again, he might be in the Sony Open this weekend. I don't know. I didn't bother to look it up. But you can watch him play golf, which is his job and which is what he does, mm-hmm. right? But then you realize that he's also really entertaining, really engaging. Yeah. And that's where you go. And he's beyond. got a great story. He's got a great, he's story, got a great backstory. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I just wonder, you know, we can we can probably talk about this more later in the show, but you know, 
as we go through this season, and I don't want to tie everything back to the Canucks, but it is kind of relevant. We go through this season where we're like, the on-ice product ain't great. Mm -hmm. The season's kind of lost. The individual games and the results don't matter. If 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 content can take you behind the city scenes, yeah. uh, I don't know. I said the scenes. Well, that behind the scenes, content, behind the scenes. Uh, if if it can bring you behind the scenes to things that you don't see, like I know we got a break here because we got to get to oh, Frank Star Valley, but but listen, yesterday I was excited to ask Jeremy Carlton, "Hey, what goes on in a video session?" Yep. Like, what do you, you know, we hear like, yeah, we, we looked over some plays on video. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, there's no follow-up on that. Like, oh yeah, what specifically are you looking at that can give us, the viewers and the fans, mm -hmm. more of a clue as to what you guys are working on? How often do we hear the Canucks have no system? Right. What does that mean? Yeah, people want to. What does that mean? No, no. Like, like, so if you're if 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 you're a coach, and um, you're being told by management, for example, I, I can't think of any like examples here, but let's say you're being told by management, bring in structure, bring in a better system. Mm. How does that look? How does that look in the video sessions? I, I, I you want people want the look behind the scenes there's proof of concept with all of this content yeah. that is being churned out like you know it's funny because once you stop relying on the game to game for your you know what we talk about mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like well what else are you going to bring to the table and the interesting thing with all of these behind the scenes looks and in-depth storytelling is that your narrative and your end goal suddenly becomes completely unreliant on what the team gives you because you're almost creating the results. Like welcome to Wrexham. Yeah. Wrexham win or lose at this point. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney bought a fifth division team from Wales that plays in England in English football tiers. And all of a sudden it's like, well, it doesn't really matter how the team does. It's very non-traditional, like win or lose. You're going to have a, a show. You're going to have content. You're going to have a story that is completely unreliant on what the guys do on the field or on the pitch or on the ice. And it's a really interesting dynamic that's at play. We are way over for time. I'm sorry, Andy. I'm sorry, Greg. But I'm not sorry to you, the listener, because I wanted to talk about this. I'm we not sorry to Andy either. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm just sorry to Greg. You're, you're, you're getting to be a bit of a nag. Bit of a Look at him. He's nag so dog. upset right that's now. We can, keep, we can keep talking dog. and talking and talking. Frank Cervelli is going to join us next on the Alfred and Bruff Show. I actually, you know what? I don't know if I'm ready to break on Sportsnet 650. As Yamamoto stole the puck, gave it to McDavid out of the left wing corner. The backhand scores! What a shot by McDavid! Seven thirty-six on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody! Alfred Brown, Sportsnet six fifty. The dogs are just egging me on. They're playing the most basic mid rap beats imaginable and then they're just yelling in the in my ear rap we're in hour two of halford and bruv <laughs> oh my god that was pretty good <laughs> download the podcast or all go rough <laughs> that wasn't as good that was less good that was rough this is part of the reason why i i can't go i can't do it it's like performance anxiety you come in here and mm. you spit hot fire who are the five best mcs i know andy 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 
Andy. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. We are right in the midst of it. Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff is going to join us in a second here. Uh, hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Brush Show. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Hello, boys. I'm good. How are you? We're good. Thanks. Uh, I noticed over at Daily Faceoff, the trade deadline preview lead up, and we still got a few days to go, but I like what you guys are doing here. The team, 51, but who's counting? Is it 51? Okay, I knew we were getting close to that mythical, magical 50. Halford thought it was on Friday. We talk about it so much. I was like, can we just hurry up <laughs> and just fast forward to that part? Anyway, I like the team previews because I think sometimes, especially here, we get kind of myopic in our view and we look at just the players. You don't the, say. I know, just the players that could be moved out. There's a lot of different things that go into a trade deadline. There's uh, other players that are available to teams. There's the team's past history, salary cap, obviously. And then there's, you know, you got to go through each team and say, well, if they can't land their first target, who's second, who's third, and who's everything else. I'm All not- that being said, what are you hearing about Bo Horvath? Please don't answer that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the, the New York Rangers were up today, and I thought it was interesting that in talking about the top six goal-scoring winger, that Brock Besser sort of emerged into the conversation. I know this is some connecting of the dots and saying, well, if maybe, you know, guy 1A or 1B isn't available, who comes next? But uh, it's interesting to look at the Rangers in light of the good run that they're on. They're obviously got aspirations to be a playoff team and to go deep in the playoffs. And they've got the history from last year where if you look at the moves that they made, maybe not the splashiest or sexiest moves, but they made a lot of them and pushed a lot of chips in a run that ultimately fell short, but you know, history does kind of suggest what might happen in the future. So this whole Rangers scenario is interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, I had to take a step back um, and it was actually really instructive for me. Sometimes you're in the moment and you forget just how not just active, but aggressive the Rangers were last year. They gave up a first, second, third, and two fourths plus Morgan Barron, who's actually been okay for the Jets this year. For a 10-week run with Frank Vitrano, Andrew Kopp, Tyler Mott, and Justin Braun. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot of capital Yep, um, that they traded. And now here's the really interesting thing. I guess it kind of paid off because they went to the conference final. They obviously didn't land the ultimate prize. But what does that mean for this year moving forward for New York, given that they've shown some cracks in their facade and that they've mostly been exactly the same team they were last year except Igor Shesterkin who I called in the piece Igor the Igor the equalizer he sort of faltered for a few weeks stretch and you saw just how ugly it is when the Rangers don't get the goaltending that they need to support what is a mostly average team otherwise so what does last year and how aggressive Chris Drury was does does he take a more conservative approach this year and if not, because he sort of has all this capital at his disposal, it's not just prospects. He's got an extra first-round pick this year from the Nils Lundqvist trade, and he's got one of the few sort of quasi-contending teams that has abundant cap space to go around. Yeah, it's an interesting one because they paid a premium 
for Andrew Cobb. And like, fair enough, he ended up being a good fit there and he's going to hang around for a while. So it makes sense. But the other deals were interesting because they weren't as high profile and they, they kind of nibbled around the edges. And I'll bring this back to Besser because it's an intriguing character. Obviously, the trade history is out there that the agent's been uh, granted permission to seek one and it's clear that the Canucks will be willing to move on. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you wrote some teams have speculated that the market for Besser is a second round pick given his current contract. I got to look at that. I'm like, if you're from a Canucks perspective, given how your season has gone and where things are at with Besser, you'd jump at that opportunity. Are you? I, I honestly, as I was typing it, I, I could actually hear the groans from like your text line being like a second round pick for Besser. That's it. Uh, his, his, his Q rating in Vancouver has fallen a lot. Um, I, I think there are people that look at his contract right now and go, can we actually trade this contract in full or does it have to be retained? Okay. So let's say that it is a second. Cause I think that's pretty reasonable. Okay. Uh, from every perspective. Um, I think if you rewind like 18 months, what it, it would have been so different. And oh, of I, course. Oh, yeah. But a lot would be different in, yeah. in, in, in Vancouver, Frank. I think there's a lot of people out there that recognize that the asset values in Vancouver have fallen dramatically for a lot of players. But the one if thing only the pe- housing market could do the same. <laughs> well, the, the, well, it's it's starting to. Yeah. The the one thing that that people want is for just these contracts to be gone, to be off the books, to have some freedom. Well, I think that's what management cap space. wants. Yeah, yeah. yeah the cap yeah. Space. It's aligning in that mm-hmm. sense, in that even just getting off of Brock Besser's contract regardless of whatever the asset is in return, having to not retain is a win, I think. Sure. Um, And so whether it's a second or whether it's a third, I think the point is from a Rangers perspective, even if he may not have been your number one choice or, you know, and I, I think it's no real secret that the Rangers are real interested in Patrick Kane. I, I really think it's a coin flip right now as to whether or not he moves but if you can't get the the guy you're looking for, is Brock Besser and maybe you get a shot in the arm from him finally having changed places and changed scenery? Is he? I think he's a kind of a no risk, or I should maybe rephrase that little risk proposition for a team like New York. For one, you can you can manage his cap hit clearly for the rest of the, you can take the thing on in full and it's no issue, right? And two, they have some cap space next season, not a ton, and it would be tight to keep him. But if he plays well, you can keep him. And if he doesn't fit with your team and doesn't play well, if you bought him for, let's again, pure hypothetical, if you bought him for a second and you need to trade him in the summer for a fourth, right? is it worth the exercise? I think it is. And so I think it's a really intriguing proposition for a team like the Rangers where it's kind of a unique fit. He may not be their number one stylistic option, and I don't know that he's number one on anyone's list with the way he's played right now, but I think there's a number of checkdown options for a team like the Rangers given what they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way of putting it. It's the checkdown. It's the third option on your reads at quarterback, right, where you're like, okay, the first two guys aren't there, but there's a nice safety valve at the third spot. Um, The interesting thing for me is – you mentioned that New York could probably stomach the cap hit. And this is what we talk about a lot where you're looking around and you go to cap friendly and so many teams pressed up against the ceiling. The notion of involving a third party to stash money or whatever, um, based on your understanding, listening and talking to people around the league, 
How much of that is just conceptual right now, and how much of it is actually being played out in real time? Because it's almost like the sign-and-trade that we always talk about. Like, yes, it's an option, and it's viable, and you can do it, but in practice, we just don't see it that often. So the idea of you know stashing money or involving a third-party team to get some of these deals done, uh, what's the temperature around it? What's the landscape around that right now? Yeah, the sign-and-trade has never happened. I don't know if we're ever going to see one. Um, but the the idea of the third party broker, I mean, it's it's reality, it's it's fact. I get, there, the the number of big money contracts that are out there that are potentially on the move between now and March third, it's impossible to trade most of them without involving a middleman. And so that's why I've called it the year of the third party broker. And I'm actually, I think everyone's hoping that it's the last year of the third party broker yeah, because no kidding. the cap should be going up this summer. And I say should because it's up to a negotiation between the NHL and the PA, and I I believe it will. But you're going to see more. There's only been six third-party broker deals in the history of the league. I I bet we see at least three this deadline alone. Like, it's at least that number. So that what that does is it increases the asset cost because teams have to now pay a third or a fourth or whatever it is. I put a value chart in my story that I wrote over the weekend and the usual suspects are all still there. You know, the Arizona's, the Buffalo's Detroit, Anaheim, that whole group. But there's a number of other teams that can get involved in the mix this year and be creative. Like a team like Columbus, where they, they don't have a ton of cap space on paper as you're looking at it, but then you can take Jake Voracek's entire $8 million plus and put that on LTIR. And so there's kind of limitless space on that front. But, um, yeah, this is it. Like, be, be ready to, to consider a third-party team. And sometimes it comes down to, to friends of who these managers deal with most often. Sometimes it comes down to aggressive pricing, like dealing with a bank. And it's going to be interesting to watch that all unfold. Hey, Frank, I'm not going to ask you about Horvat or Miller, unless anything new has... I would, I would say, yeah. Okay. If I had anything something new, new I, would let, okay. I would let you know. But I okay. do want to ask you about the head coaching situation in Vancouver because it's one we've been discussing a lot um, this week, especially in the last couple of days. And as we've seen Bruce Boudreaux go out there and just look sad after every post game and look tired and, you know, he's trying to put on a brave face and he's trying to remain positive Bruce Boudreaux, but he's in a pretty tough situation right now. So I'll start with this question. Do you think he's going to last the season as head coach in Vancouver? I think the answer is yes, just because if it was going to happen, wouldn't it have already happened? Like how many opportunities has there been, you know, dating back to November, late October, where you're like, yeah, this probably should have happened already. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a I mean, good point, but but I, I think there's also the potential, amazingly, for this season to get uglier for the Vancouver Canucks. You isn't know, uglier, though, better in the grand scheme? I So here's the debate that we're having. The fan base, and us as well, frankly, are all in on losing as much as you can to give yourself the best odds at Connor Bedard. But does ownership feel that way? Does management feel that way? And is there an argument to be made to bring in a new head coach right now and start installing some of the systems and structure um, so you don't have to rush that learning at training camp 
So just like get a handle on the new system now so you don't Sort go- of like what the Flames did a few years back. They brought in Daryl Sutter. It was the season was over already, but they they got used to it, brought mostly the same team back and then hit the ground running and won a division title. I didn't even think of that example, but that's a good example. I guess that would be the debate, and it always brings us back to the question, which listeners are probably getting tired of hearing from me, how much does next season matter? And until we hear an admission from Canucks management that, you know what, we need to rebuild and we need to take a few steps back and we need to drop expectations from make the playoffs to improve our long-term outlook, I'm going to assume that they're going to keep doing the same thing that they've done, and that is to just keep building on the team and playoffs. And... Because it's been for a decade. Now. Yeah, that's the thing, right? And until like there until is that... there's some, Until yes. there's a different yes. course charted, why would we have any reason to believe that there's a wholesale change? Exactly. So would you like to change so your I... answer on Bruce Boudreau? Do you think there's a possibility that someone like, I don't know, Rick Tockett comes in? as the new head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, and they get that running start on next season. And Rick Tockett can come in, or the new coach, or whoever it is, can come in and say, all right, this guy I can work with, this guy I can't, so do your best to get rid of him. I I don't know. I I don't know the answer, and I would say... I, I, I said this earlier in the week on Sat's show on Monday night, that I think this is the one of the biggest weeks for the Canucks franchise in the last decade. And I say that because they're meeting in Florida this week and weekend for pro and amateur scouting meetings. And I'm really curious to see what the path forward is after this. Does this current management team led by Jim Rutherford have the autonomy from ownership to, to really begin stripping off pieces if they want to? And I, that's, that to me is the question, because when you look, the theme is if you go through the last decade, there's been multiple regime changes. And if all, if the constant remains true, that this is the path forward is to continue to try and put a bandaid on the roster and fix things to try and remain as competitive as possible. Well, if you go through multiple regime changes and that's still the case, then that leads me to believe that it comes from the top. That the mantra and mission and mandate is make the playoffs every year. Be as competitive as possible. And I just think you, you've you hit the wall. And I, I'm, this is music to Canucks fans' ears. Like You've hit the wall in that there's only so many times you can paper over it and fix it right. before you need to take it down to the studs. Frank, and, oh, sorry, keep going, keep going. No, no, I was just going to say, like, we'll know in a, in a few weeks, but to me, if you're planning on trying to do the same thing again, well, then you're just ramming your head against the wall and paying an extra coach for the rest of this year when you don't have to. Frank, great stuff today, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Thursday. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. YouTube, thanks. thanks Frank, Frank. Valley from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Unsigned text in, although I think it might be from Ironworker Blair. He writes, it's raining so hard, I can't even hear Frank Valley on my radio. Is it, uh, we need someone to go do a weather report. Yeah, we're in a bunker. We do Dogs. not know the weather. Which of you needs to go out to pee? It's it's raining hard. It's gonna Which, be it's gonna rain hard for the next few days. I used to say when you were here that it's one. It's raining week, sideways. I used to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember we had Josh Elliott Wolf.
Mm-hmm. AKA Roy. All the spooky skies. Yeah, I, I used to. I'd send. I'd make him run outside <laughs> to do weather. Was updates. that his weather forecast? Yeah. The sky is spooky. Yeah. No, it wasn't even a forecast. Would you like me to go outside and call into the show and tell you what it's like? Yeah, you could be like our Doppler radar. Uh, we guy. don't have enough time. I could do that next segment. We need. We need like someone. But I can do that for you if you want. Uh, we either need like a prank person, like someone that goes out and does streeters yeah. and does funny things out there. Not like Andy. Would you be willing to physically harm yourself for laughs? Yeah. Well, <laughs> how many laughs? You're already emotionally and what Why level of, and That's what, up to you. It depends what, how badly you're willing to get hurt. And what level of physical harm are we talking about? Am I in the hospital or is it just a little stub toe? Oh, no, no, no. We'll like, do, if I'm in traction, I don't know. I mean, gonna, that would be funny. We're going to go be. We're gonna go old school, like, just for laughs, you know, or like- Super what, Dave. Yeah, old school, like, funny gags. We're not going to do, like, modern influencers. <laughs> Gag. The, uh, yeah, the, just do for laughs gags. They st- yeah. Do they still have that? Yes, that is the best programming on television. How much of- <laughs> this? We've asked this question before. How much of their ratings was based on, like- they, So it would always be after the hockey game on yeah. Saturday night. How much of their ratings was just based on the TV still being on? Yeah. Like, someone's falling asleep yeah. on the couch. And, like, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times- uh, like the TV Beyond and like the Just for Laughs gags thing. Yeah, our jobs basically got replaced by Just for Laughs gags brackets radio. Like that's yeah. what happened, right? They're like, ah, it's not great, but people listen to it. That's that's the whole Just for Laughs approach. That like, show it, it gets less funny the older you get. I feel. Like. Yeah, I don't like. <laughs> I feel like that show is only funny in Quebec. Yeah, <laughs> for some reason, like that's True. their sense of really humor. specific market they're targeting. Yeah, they're like, look, that baguette has a mustache on it. Everyone laughs, and I don't you fell get off it. a building. Uh, I will. Say this: the modern influencers with like the pranks that they do now, they're not funny. No, they just they, they walk down the street and then they just they're like, all scripted. Yeah, they they're punch someone in the face scripted. and they're like, "Ha!" Look kids at kids these days don't know a good prank. No, they don't. Those old ones are great. I was watching yeah. one the other day where someone would go into a porta potty, okay, and then they would wheel in uh, this dome that inside of the dome had a long business table and they had like eighteen Japanese businessmen. At the business table. So when you opened up the door to the porta potty, suddenly okay. you walked right into the middle of a business meeting. And then the business guys would just look at you like you were the one that was screwing up their work. Oh. All the people were like, sorry. They said sorry. And then they walked back into the porta potty as if there was some like yeah. magical way that they were going to get out of it. I mean, it's relatable. It's happened to everybody. <laughs> it's a great, it was a great yeah. gag. I respect that. Are they trying to make people lose their minds or something? Yeah, like I think that? so. Like, because the people are like, oh, sorry, I'll just go back in here. And I just, it's just become psychological warfare this time. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Uh, speaking of psychological warfare, the yes. Canucks have a game tonight uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa Bay. Really tough stretch of three games and four nights for this Canucks team that's started this uh, five-game road trip with a 7-4 loss in Winnipeg and a 5-4 loss in Pittsburgh. So on the bright side, they've scored eight goals in two games. Yay! On the downside, they've won none of the games. We'll talk to Brendan Batchelor about this Vancouver Canucks team. I don't know what more can be said, but Batch is going to try on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're in Hour 2 of Halford and Bruff. <laughs> oh my god, that was pretty good. <laughs> Download the podcast or all go rough. <laughs> that wasn't as good. <laughs>